All right, and we'll be looking at session number two in your notes, beginning on page 15. We'll be looking at page 15. Session two actually begins before that, but we'll start with page 15. But welcome once again, everyone, and uh, you all have coats and all that on. Is there a reason for that? <laughs> My apologies for uh, how cold it is in here. The truth is, I don't, I don't get cold. Uh, one, I guess up front, we got some lights and stuff up here, the jacket, and then I'm talking so I don't get cold up here. Uh, I'll get hot sometimes in the summertime, but I don't realize that. And I didn't realize it until I was told by one of our ushers that uh, we have folks in parkas and, <laughs> and we had some folks leave. <laughs> I'm told that's true. So it's getting pretty bad when folks can't bear it that much. So I apologize and we will try yet again this week to uh, talk to the folks that run the facility here to ask them to help us with that. But we don't have access to the uh, th thermostat, obviously. Otherwise, we would take care of it. And they have a large system here that requires their access and their input. And so thank you for your indulgence with that. And we'll do the best, the best we can with it. But today, we'll be looking at session number two in our series on relationships. And if you were not able to be here last week, then I encourage you for any of the weeks of our 12-week series that you have to miss, that you listen to the audio that is on our website. All of the sessions will be available, and so you can make them up in that way. And last week, we asked one major question in our session together, and that is, in my relationships, what do I bring to the table? Or, I used another phrase last week, it wasn't just what do I bring to the table, but I said that I sometimes call that doing a baggage check. Because all of us come into all of our relationships with particular baggage uh, that, that we carry in, that we've acquired. And then I gave three categories of baggage that we bring into those relationships. If you were here last week, I trust you might remember one or all three of those. But there were these three categories you may remember. Does anybody remember the first one? Good. Nature. I bring my own nature into the relationships. That is, who I am by natural disposition, by personality, the character qualities that comprise me by virtue of having been born into a particular family, all of the biological traits that I have, I bring those into the relationship. That's what I mean when I say we bring our nature. That's part of the baggage that I bring to the table in my relationships, nature. But then the second category is nurture. So it's not just who I am by, by birth. It's not just who I am naturally, my personal characteristics and my dispositions and my abilities, but it is my, my upbringing. It's the things that I've observed and I have been taught by those that were engaged in relationship with me as a child and into my teen years and at, at various places at home and at school and at work. These are all part of my upbringing or what I put under the category of nurture. And so each of us comes into all of our relationships with certain baggage. We bring to the table our nature and our nurture and a third thing. We bring our desires into the relationship. And our desires are, as the name suggests, what I, what I want. And because it's in relationship with somebody else, by definition in a relationship there's at least one other party, then what I want is automatically translated into what I expect. Because we're in relationship. You and I are in relationship together. 
I want certain things, and I expect you to provide those things. And each of us comes to the table with that category of baggage as well. Nature, nurture, and our desires. Now, let me categorize those a little bit further. Nature and nurture could be put under this heading. It's, it's who I am. So as I come into a relationship, I bring who I am into the relationship. And who I am is fairly complex. Who you are is fairly complex. It's who we are by nature. It's who we are by nurture. You put them both together. It a, comprises a profile of who I am. I come in with this baggage of who I am. That's one category of those three. But the third item that we all bring in, our desires, our wants, our expectations, could go under this heading, what I, what I expect. So there's who I am. That's my nature, my nurture. But then there's, there's what I expect out of you in this, in this relationship. Now today, we're going to answer a question not, and uh, we're okay, we have, uh, we have a medical issue to my right, everybody remain calm, okay, and we have medical staff who can attend to that, and uh, we, we will do that, okay, so we will, we will be fine, thanks for your calm with regard to that, and thanks to our medical team and our safety team who did a demonstration for us just a couple weeks ago so that we're prepared for something like that to, to occur. We can carry on, and if there are any further instructions for us, then uh, we'll, we'll give those to you right away, okay? So we come into our relationships, nature, nurture, and our desires. And nature and nurture fall under this heading, who am I? Desires, what I expect, fall under the category, what do I, what do I expect from you in this in this particular relationship. So last week we were answering the question, what do I bring to the table? Now today, rather than what do I bring to the table, here's the question we're gonna answer. So what's the problem? Okay, so I come into these relationships you told me last week with who I am and what I expect. Who I am is my nature and my nurture. What do I expect are, are my desires and my wants. So now today we wanna to explore, well then what's the problem? Now, the fact is we all have problems in our relationships, but it's not obvious to us why those problems exist if you just say, what do I bring to the table? What's my baggage, nature, nurture, desires, who I am, what I expect? And it's not obvious what the problem is for this reason. As I try to answer what is the problem, you know, what I bring is who I am and what I expect. And if you think about it, if you think about who I am, as you think about who you are, what's not to like? Right? Okay, so I bring my baggage in. And my baggage is my nature, my nurture. It's, it's who I am. I've got a bunch of relationships. I bring that in. There's problems in those relationships. The one thing I know pretty clearly is the problem is not in this direction. Because as you think about who I am and my natural dispositions, the way I was raised, well, everybody should be like me. Now, I'm being somewhat facetious, of course, but when we think about that, the, the fact is that's kind of the way we look at it. You know, what's not to like? 
There's who I am. There's a problem in here. It's who you are. Or the second category is what do I expect? Who am I? What do I expect? Well, the problem's not what, what do I expect because I'm an eminently reasonable person by nature and by nurture. I bring that to the table, my reasonableness. What I want and desire and expect from you is eminently reasonable. A reasonable person would have to agree with that. If you're not supplying it and you don't agree with it, you are by definition an unreasonable person. Now, I don't know where you acquired your lack of reason, somewhere in your nature or your nurture, but if we're really going to get this together, where's the problem? Go look in the mirror. It's with you. Now, I'll be happy to help you change you. But until you're ready to change who you are and the way you look at life, there are going to be problems in this relationship. Let me make that very clear. And life will be miserable for you and for the kids and anybody else who gets in our way. Because you really got to get the picture. The problem is not moi. The problem is you. So last week we were saying, what do I bring to the table? This week we're saying, well, what's the problem? Because the truth of the matter is most of us tend to look at who we are as unproblematic. What's not to like in who I am and in what I expect and thus what I'm bringing to the table. Now, some of you may be sitting there and you're saying, well, as I look at who I am, I don't, I'm not quite that prideful with it. Certainly I would never say that out loud. But maybe you say, you know, I bring, I bring very little good to the table. And I know I'm a crumb. And in fact, I don't even deserve you. That's one of the reasons that I need you so desperately. Because I'm such a crumb. Now, in both cases, you have a person who has, if it's a person who says, what's not to like, it's all good with me, my nature and my nurture are all terrific. Or if you've got the person who says there's little to like, in both cases, here's what you have. You have someone who has an inaccurate and more important unbiblical image of themselves. And that is what we all bring into our relationships, an inaccurate, unbiblical image view of ourselves. It may be too high, it may be too low, but without God's perspective, it won't be accurate. Now, I'll just beat on the self-image thing for a minute and then we'll move on, okay? But we have lived now through about 20 years of the self-esteem, high self-image movement. You guys all know the fruits of that, right? Nobody wins, nobody loses. We're all winners. So the kid never learns how to lose. And so then when they lose, they shoot somebody. Because this is not supposed to happen. So you people are treating me bad. And so we've got all the ill fruits of this notion of Self-esteem, high self-esteem at all costs, high self-image at all costs. God's perspective is this. God is not interested in you and me having a high self-image. He's not interested in us having a low self-image. He's interested in us having an accurate self-image. And the truth of the matter is there's stuff about me personally and stuff about you that is to like and there's stuff not to like. There are things that I can have a high view because God has gifted me in a particular area. 
And there are things that I need to have an accurately low view because I don't have those gifts and abilities. And all of us need to learn that. And the earlier we do, the better we will come into our relationships answering the question, what's the problem? And it will help us then begin to, rather than point the finger outside of ourselves, begin to point the finger toward ourselves, which is, as we're going to see in a bit, what God does. And so what's the problem? Most often it's the other party. But here's the real problem with that. Most often we think it's the other party, but of course what's the other party say? Well, now we're at a stalemate, aren't we? Because of course they are saying exactly the same thing. You ask me what the problem is, the problem's outside of me. The problem is you, the other person in the relationship. But of course that person is invariably saying the same thing. The problem is you. And until you're willing to get with my agenda, it's never going to be right. Now, we're going to see what God has to say about this in Scripture in just a bit. But I can prove this to you by virtue of just over many years of having people come to me with relationship problems. I will tell you that 99 out of 100 times, and that is not too high. In fact, it may be 100 out of 100. I can't think of an exception, but there may be one, so I'll say 99 out of 100. When people come to me with relationship problems, here's how the conversation starts. He does this, 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 and this. He fails to do this, 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 and this. That's the problem. If it's him coming to talk to me, it's going to be exactly the same, but with the feminine pronoun. She does this, 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 and this, and she fails to do every last time. And so the person comes with a notion of what the problem is. And the problem, according to each of us, is it's not us. It's the other person. Now, do you all remember when we started last week? I pointed you to the title page on the inside cover of your notebook that says change in my relationships. That's the subtitle of this, Relationships a Mess Worth Making. It's change in my relationships. And I warned you last week, I said, as you come to these 12 weeks, and please do, but as you do, be forewarned. One, this is sponsored by a church, and therefore it should not surprise you we're going to look at what God says in his book about our relationships. We're going to look at scripture. Secondly, I warned you ahead of time that Scripture is going to call you and me to change, thus the subtitle, Change in My Relationships. And the change, I told you last week, is not going to point at the other parties. The change is going to point at me. The change is going to point at you. So, having renewed that warning, will you turn in your notebooks to page 15? And if you have your Bible, you'll notice down at the bottom of page 15, that there's a passage, Romans 7. If you're able to turn in your Bible to Romans 7, please do. If not, because you can't juggle it or you don't have a Bible with you or you don't know where Romans 7 is, whatever the case, I will read it and you can listen as I do. Romans 7, verses 21 to 25. It says this. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. 
For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, as we answer this question, what's the problem? The Bible begins the focus by looking not outside of us, but looking at, as you can see from this passage, inside of us. And there are four words, bottom of page 15, that I want to point out to you in that passage, if you care to jot them down. The first key word in that passage is law. The passage, as it speaks of me and you and what we bring to the table in our relationships, says there's a law at work. It's the law of sin. And it uses the word law because sin is an inescapable principle in our lives that we will never be free from until we are made perfect. So what do I bring to the table? What's the problem? Well, here's the problem. I bring the law of sin into every relationship that I have. And it's a law, meaning it's inescapable. It's an inescapable principle that will be present with me until I am made perfect. And guess when that happens? When you die. Meaning you're going to bring this struggle with you into every relationship you have, this side of heaven. So the first word is, is law. The second word is war. The word war is used. And it's saying this, sin is... A conflict, a continual conflict. But not just a conflict, and not just an ongoing continual conflict, but an ongoing inner conflict. It's a conflict, a war, that's taking place in me, the passage says. And so it's a law that will be in effect this side of heaven in all my relationships. It's a war that's a continual inner conflict that battles against God's law. Because I have the law of sin within me. Here's a third word used in the passage. Prisoner. Prisoner. Because I'm a prisoner under this inescapable law, as a result of this conflict, because I'm a prisoner, though I may want to do what's right, often the law of sin pulls at me and removes my freedom to do so. What prisoner? That's the way it is for a prisoner in a war, isn't it? You're, you're powerless. So the passage talks about law, and it talks about conflict, and it talks about war, and, excuse me, law and war, and, and us as prisoners. And the fourth word is, key word is rescue, rescue. It tells us we need to, as prisoners in this war, because we are under this inescapable law, we need to be delivered, we need to be saved, we need to be rescued. Our sin requires an outside helper. And then a fifth phrase, and then I'm done, is body of death. Who shall deliver me from this, who shall rescue me from this body of death? And the idea there is sin, that's operative within me and within you, brings death, that is. The word for death in the Bible is separation. It brings separation both physically and spiritually in our relationships. Okay, so what's the problem now? 
as we start to look into the mirror of God's word. Rather now than us looking continually outside of ourselves and at the other party, God bids us look inside yourself, look at yourself. We have met the enemy, and he is us. I'm the enemy. You're the enemy. The main enemy in our relationships. And so today's question is, what's the problem? And God's answer is, the problem is an internal, inside job within us, very clearly from Romans 7. Now take a look at page 16, and you'll have an example then of this kind of conflict going on. The basic effects of sin. You can read that whole page on your own when you have time, but it's about Kristen and Shane, who knew each other growing up, decided to, to get married, and as most marriages begin, it began wonderfully. And it began with the carpenters singing in the background, we've only just begun, white lace and promises, and all of that. And I'm showing how old I am when I quote the carpenters. But there's the image, you know? And it's all, going to be, it's all just going to be beautiful. And of course, all of us, when we had our weddings, for the most part, uh, they, you know, they, they were beautiful affairs and all of that. Or we had a vow renewal ceremony recently for some of, the, some of you. And that was a beautiful affair. And so we try to make it that way for good reason. And we try to move in a direction that keeps that beauty occurring. But life happens in that relationship, in that marriage. And in the case of Kristen and Shane, in the notes in the, uh, on page 16, it says that she became pregnant. And she became pregnant unexpectedly. They were planning later, and now there's conflict. And he blames her for not being more careful. She's hurt that he blames her for not being more careful, and the way he talks about their baby is like he or she is a disease. And this creates great conflict. And now they're concerned. Because he grew up in a well-to-do home, some of the baggage he brings in is he was nurtured that you should have these kinds of things. And in order for us to have these kinds of things, you have to work. Because we won't be able to afford it otherwise. And now you've gone and gotten pregnant because you weren't careful enough. And we're not going to be able to have the stuff that we're supposed to have. Now, do you see the nature, nurture, expectations thing working here? And what has changed in their relationship? It's not that Kristen has changed. It's not even that Shane has changed. The circumstance has changed. A circumstance, an unexpected circumstance, has now come into this relationship that reveals what Romans 7 says. The circumstance does not create the problem. The circumstance exposes the problem. Let me say that again. The circumstance does not create the problem. The circumstance exposes the problem that was already there. And the problem that was already there is the law of sin at work in both Kristen and Shane. Now you've all, every last one of us has gone through this. Go into relationship, starts out okay, because the circumstances are the way we both want. So if it's a marriage relationship, we get married. You know, if it's a business partnership, we go into a partnership. You know, if it's just to be friends, we're friends. If it's to join a church, they looked good for a while until I found out that they're all a bunch of sinners with the law of sin at work in them. 
And some circumstance comes along in whatever the relationship is, such that now it exposes expectations on your part and or their part that creates the tension, the mess that is our relationships. Get this straight, friends. The circumstance did not create the problem. The circumstance is the occasion of exposing, revealing, making known the problem. Now, that's what happened with Kristen and Shane. Now, let's answer some questions then on page 17 and following with regard to Kristen and Shane. This law of sin affects our relationships in six basic ways, beginning on page 17. The first one is, it reveals our self-centeredness, top of page 17. Since relationships are about being other-centered, the self-centeredness of sin will inevitably subvert God's design. When we reject God, and when we say we reject God, it doesn't mean you say, I don't believe in God, I become an atheist. It doesn't mean that. It means you reject God's approach to relationships. And you refuse to look at yourself and rather look outside of yourself. And when you do that, we create a void that cannot remain empty. Sin will lead us instinctively to fill it with ourselves. So can you identify self-centeredness now in the relationship that Kristen and Shane have? Well, let me give you a few ways that they, that they, that they expose the self-centeredness present in both of their hearts. When things got tough, they immediately defaulted to a what-is-best-for-me stance. You know, so, so Kristen is looking at what's best for me from you, Shane. And Shane is saying, you know, the bargain all along was that we were going to have a certain lifestyle, and now that lifestyle is threatened all because of you. They both defaulted to a what's-best-for-me position rather than Hear this, rather than what is God doing in and through us. Now that's a radically different perspective when stuff comes along in our relationships. But it is the right perspective. It is God's perspective. It is, we don't say, what's in it for me? How can we fix this thing so it's best for me? The question we are supposed to ask is, what is God doing in this situation? What is God going to produce in me through this situation? Now, can you guys begin to see how taking that radically different approach will radically affect the way you pursue this relationship and the way you handle this circumstance and interact with that person? Self-centeredness rather than other-centeredness. Number two, self-rule. When God's wise and loving rule over us is replaced with self-rule, other people become our subjects. They're expected to do our bidding, bow to our control. Because relationships are supposed to be conducted between two people who are equally submitted to God, the quest for self-rule always wreaks havoc. So how does self-rule reveal itself in their relationship? Well, as we all do. The circumstance comes along that's not to our liking, and here's how we respond, by trying to take control. Now, how does, how does he, or how do you, and I tend to try to take control lots of ways. Perhaps by sharp, unkind, critical comments. I'm going to take control of this situation. I'm going to remind you how stupid you are. You were supposed to be taking the pill. You were supposed to make sure this didn't happen. And I'll remind you of 15 other things that I now remember that also show how stupid you are. I'll take control with sharp, critical comments. 
Kristen responds by taking control with isolation and silence. But she's still taking control. Okay. Won't be any other babies coming from us. I can guarantee you that. Because guess why? I'm not going to let you get close to me. You'd be amazed at how many families live in this sort of conflict daily in their lives, sleeping in different places, married couples. But it's a way to exercise control by words or even by silence and isolation, self-sufficiency. Bottom of page 17, when we reject God, we believe the intoxicating but poisonous delusion that we're not dependent If we don't see that we're dependent upon God, it's unlikely we'll be humbly dependent on others. One of God's principal means of providing for us is through our human relationships. And yet, sin rears its ugly head in the form of self-sufficiency. And so, how does that show itself in these folks' relationship? They try to solve the problem on their own. So, Kristen knows what the solution is. Shane knows what the solution is. They try to work on the problem. They think they do. They try to work on the problem on their own rather than working together in dependency. They move toward isolation and independence. They forget this. And friends, you forget this. I forget this. That in all of your relationships with all of their difficult circumstances, God has not left you alone. And he has provided each of us to be dependent on each other to accomplish his purposes even in this difficult relationship. So this law of sin at work in our relationships, as we answer the question, what's the problem? The problem's inside us, and it reveals itself, exposes itself in difficult circumstances in our relationships through self-centeredness, through self-rule, self-sufficiency. Look at page 18. Through self-righteousness. The holiness of God is not our personal standard of what's good, true, and right. And when it's not, we will always set ourselves up as that standard, leading us to develop an inflated view of ourselves, an overly critical view of others. Godly relationships flourish best between two humble people who acknowledge their weaknesses and sins and their need for grace. Let me ask you guys this. Have you ever had a relationship with an enemy? Now, if you're married and your spouse is sitting next to you, don't say yes and point to them, okay? Have you ever had a relationship with an enemy? You know, somebody that you have offended such that they consider you their enemy, or they've offended you such that you consider them an enemy. Well, you know, many of us would say, ah, you know, I've got a lot of people I don't care to be around, a lot of people I avoid. Enemy, that's pretty, that's pretty strong. Every person, every person here has had at least one relationship with an enemy. Did you know that the Bible says that we were all God's flock? You ever thought about that? That the Bible teaches that before we came to Christ, we were God's enemies. You have had a relationship with an enemy. If you haven't come to God through Christ... You still have a relationship with an enemy. The Bible teaches you're you're God's enemy by virtue of of your offense against him and ongoing war against him in your life. And prior to coming to Christ, 
The Bible says, Romans 5, 8, we were all God's enemies. And so you have all, we have all had a relationship with somebody who was an enemy. Now here's the reason I bring that up. That relationship where I was God's enemy and I was the offender and he was the offended. How did he handle that? What did he do when he was offended? The one who is the standard of righteousness condescended to come to where you are to reach out the olive branch of relationship and friendship to you in the person and work of Jesus Christ to reconcile you to himself. Now, apply that to your relationships. Forgive the grammar, but ain't nobody here who is the standard of righteousness like God is. And so even though we have all been sinned against, there have none of us been sinned against as God has been sinned against by us. And yet we come into those relationships with our self-righteousness. Even as people who in Christ have been forgiven by a holy and perfect God who condescended in his grace to forgive us. And so we approach as if we are the standard. And so each party thinks he or she's more righteous than the other. And each is quite aware of the other's sin and works hard to get the other to see it, rather than looking at his or her own heart and seeking the help that only Jesus can give. Isn't that true? We are, we are very aware of everybody else's sin. We're very aware of the other party's sin. And the thing that will help you take your eyes off the sin of others is when, like a laser beam, you allow the Word of God to focus on your own sin and the fact that we were at one time enemies of a holy God. And yet look at how He handled us. Well, now that counseling session goes a little bit different, doesn't it? Now you come in and you're not so quick to say, here's the problem. He does this, this, and this. He fails to do this, this, and this. Or she does or fails to do. Because you're somebody who sees yourself as God sees you. Here's a fifth way that sin intrudes on our relationships and it is self-satisfaction. When we convince ourselves that satisfaction can be found apart from God, we can move in two different directions. We can try to find satisfaction in material things, which will lead to disinterest in relationships or using them as a means to get what we want. Or we can try to find satisfaction in people using relationships for our own happiness. Either way, we're looking for satisfaction for ourselves in the relationships. And so Kristen might go talking to her girlfriends about how bad Shane is. Now, I don't want any testimonies here, but can anybody relate to this? This is the way it goes. She talks to her girlfriend, she talks to her mom, tells mom what a crumb she married. You know, she may not be in speaking terms with mom because mom should have warned her what a crumb he was. So she's kind of ticked at mom. Anyway, she tells some church members what a crumb her husband is. Of course, in a, in a Christian sort of way. Just, you know, I have a prayer request. You can, you can cover any, all manner of gossip in the form of a prayer request. Did you know that? He talks to his buddies at work, hangs out at the bar, you know, goes to uh, watch U of M on the, on the big screen, and all the while he's complaining about the old lady. And that's the phrase he'll use, my old lady. Self-satisfaction. And it causes us to 
sin by replacing the community of friends that are supposed to help rather than gossip with another circle of friends. And neither is making investments in the relationship that they once loved to make. And here's a final one, self-taught, self-taught, bottom of page 18. When we're our own source of truth and wisdom, we forsake the humble, teachable spirit that's vital to a good relationship. We always take the role of mentor and we give the impression that we have little, if anything, to learn from others. How do we see this attitude? They don't listen to each other's view and perspective. They don't try to understand. Now look at page 19. You have all of this on a chart. Top of page 19, relationships can be a means of diagnosing our own weaknesses. And here's a chart that summarizes those six things and the effects then that it has in various categories of our lives. And so I encourage you to take a look at that this, this week. But let me point something out about the chart. Down the left side, you have the six things that I just went over. Notice that they all start with the same word. Right? Self. Now, if you were to replace those words with God, it would radically change everything else that happens. If it was God-centered, and if it was God-ruled, and if you found your sufficiency in God, and if you saw your righteousness as not your own, but from outside of yourself in Christ, if you found your satisfaction in God, and if you were taught by God, rather than by yourself. Replace self with God in every one of these. It'll radically change what happens. Further, let me point something else about the chart. Notice that the rightmost column of that chart has emotions and telltale actions. And so things like I'm anxious if I'm self-centered, or I'm angry if I engage in self-rule, or I'm cold and distant. And notice that those are the effects of what's on the left side of the page. When most of us look at our problems and we say, you know, I'm angry. And then if we ask the question, well, why are you angry? What's the answer going to be for most of us? Well, because he does this, this, and this, or he fails to do this and this. But notice that this chart is saying that the root of our anger, the root of our coldness and distance, the root of our anxiousness, and all of that on the right side of the page is all rooted in the left side of the page. Our self-centeredness, rules, sufficiency, and so on, which begins, look at the first column, left side. It all begins with what we seek and what we want, and I would add the word what we then expect. So what do I bring into the what do I bring to the table? I bring my nature, and I bring my nurture, and I bring my expectations. What's the problem? <laughs> the problem is that by nature, I am self-centered. By nurture, I was reared by people who were self-centered. What I bring into my relationships is all of this self-rule, self-satisfaction, self-righteousness, self-sufficient stuff into every relationship that I have. So what's the problem? The Bible's answer is the problem is with me. Now, you may be sitting there and saying, yeah, but. Let's get to the yeah, but in the last three minutes. Page 20. What's happening when this occurs, friends, when, not if, we do this, 
What's happening when we do this is we are really replacing God with ourselves. It's really a matter of worship. It's really a matter of idolatry. I've made an idol out of my wants. When my wants and expectations are not met, it issues forth in all the bad stuff that we've seen. I find my sufficiency in someone other than God. I'm taught by someone other than God. I find my righteousness in someone other than God. When I do all of that, I have replaced God with a false God. The God of my wants and my desires. And I bring that into my relationship. Now, some of you have been saying, yeah, but what about the stuff people do to me? Okay, you've made the case. I'm a big fat sack of sin. I'm buying what you say. But people really have done bad stuff to me. What about the bad things that people do to me? Look at the bottom of page 20. What's been said so far may give the impression that our relationships are only harmed by arson. But the Bible's full of exhortations calling us to exercise things like patience and forbearance and compassion, forgiveness and love to revo revoke revenge and anger. The Bible mentions these because God knows we will be sinned against. Like Shane, we are sometimes the victimizers. Like Kristen, we're sometimes the victims. And then there are times when we are both. Even when we're sinned against, now notice this, we are still responsible for how we, and you might underline and circle, how we react. Because how I react now to the sin of others is going to be dictated by the heart that I bring to that situation. Is it going to be a self-ruled, self-righteous, self-taught heart? or God-ruled, God-righteous, God-taught heart. And we often react this way. Can you identify with any of these when you've been sinned against? Top of page 21. Rather than doing what God says and confessing my sin to Him and asking Him to help me in the relationships that He's called me to to achieve His purposes for me and others in those relationships, rather than doing that, when I'm sinned against by you, here's what I do. I confess your sins to myself. I keep thinking about what an idiot you are. Over and over again. I can't believe you did that to me. And so I become bitter. Or I confess your sins to other people in gossip. Let me tell you what he did. Or I confess your sins to God rather than my sins. God, can you do something to get this person out of my life? Vengeance. Or I confess your sins to you in anger. And so we're responsible for how we react. The truth is we are sinned against. That's no doubt about it. But we still bring a heart even to that reaction. The Bible reminds us even when we're sinned against, ultimately before God, our biggest problem is still our own heart's propensity to sin. Last, and then we're done. Take a look at page 22. Two mistakes that are very easy for us to make. And you may be in this situation, if you feel overwhelmed or have lost hope, you may be making two mistakes. We may be thinking God's grace is supposed to deliver us from problems, when in reality, God's grace often gives us the ability to persevere in the midst of problems. We desire the grace of relief. God gives the grace of empowerment. Okay, so get that straight. You may be in this situation and you say, I need to get out of this relationship. But God says, I have you in this relationship and I will give you my power to see you through this relationship, to accomplish what I have for you and for them. 
Secondly, we may be measuring our potential to deal with difficulty by the size and the duration of the problems instead of our potential according to the size of God's provisions. Even in the deepest difficulty, we are never without resources and never apart from God's presence. And so you look at it from your limited perspective and you say, this will never get better. You're looking at it from your limited perspective of resources rather than God's abundant supply of resources to see you through it. All right, let's pray. We'll be done. Father, thank you for this time and these dear folks who want to please you with their lives and their relationships. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to look at what your word says about all aspects of our relationship and the need for me and for us to change in the midst of our relationships. Lord, I want to pray for our brother Dan and his well-being and his health. And I thank you for those that are here to attend to him. And I pray that he is he's getting the care that he needs. But, Lord, you've taught us to trust you. In all things, we trust you in this, and we want to demonstrate that trust in you as we go now out into our relationships at work, our neighborhoods, in our families, with our coworkers. Lord, help us to demonstrate a radically different approach to how we face the problems, the mess that is our relationships. And thereby, may we show Jesus Christ to those that you brought into our circle of influence. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.